I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 3. That's where we'll be in a moment. And then after that, if you've got a Bible with actual paper, you can bookmark 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, if you've got an iPhone or something like that, then just be ready to move those fingers quick and get to 2 Corinthians 4 in a bit. There's also bulletin notes, uh, follow-along notes inside your bulletin, and we'll be going through those. You might notice that inside the bulletin, it actually says 1 Corinthians will actually be in 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. So it's a misprint in the bulletin. Um, we'll be going to 2 Corinthians. Well, as we're launching this new series on eternity, um, I'm sure that some of you may be a little bit worried that eternity is actually describing the length of the sermon. (laughs) That's definitely not true. We are going to have an end point today, and so no worries there. What we're going to be talking about is our eternal destiny in Christ and what God has for us beyond this life. It's interesting, we've had some technical difficulties this morning because... Uh, we had a lightning strike at the church last night. And uh, praise God, we're not going to let a lightning strike affect what God is doing in this place today or what he did last night during the women's night of worship, if you were here. But it was reminding me that it wasn't too long ago that my wife and I were coming to Life Point for our first Sunday here. It was June 2006. It's 12 years ago. And on that Sunday when we showed up, the lights were all off because a lightning had, a lightning had struck the church. And so about 12 years ago, we came with no power on stage or anything, but we could feel the presence of the Lord here, and that we could feel the heart of this place, and we thank God for calling us here. But it's amazing. In my mind, it's like it was yesterday, and yet it was 12 years ago. It's amazing how fast time flies. Well, we're going to be talking about how time flies in our lives today, and how that gives us a glimpse of the fact that we're yearning for something more. We're yearning for eternity with Christ. Now, this is not just an unimportant topic. It's not just sort of an academic topic to talk about, something that's not important. Hebrews 6 says it like this. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So it's going to talk about the elementary doctrines and the foundation, and here's what they are. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of instructions of washings, the laying on of hands, and listen to this, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You see, part of our foundation as Christians is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, is our understanding of eternity and God's eternal purposes for for us. This is foundational. And as we're talking about our foundation, it says, let us leave these elementary doctrines. That doesn't mean that we should take these elementary doctrines and discard them. If you build a foundation, you don't discard it when you're done with it, you build on top of it. You leave the foundation by, when you're done with the foundation, you leave it and start building on top of it. It's the same way with our Christian lives. The foundation that we have in terms of who God is and what he has for us should be the basis, the foundation for how we build our lives. We don't learn it and then set it aside. We build upon it. And I just want to mention also that we have foundations classes here at LifePoint, the next one in middle of June. And these three classes are an opportunity to go back and, and relearn and reinforce the foundations of our Christian faith, looking at the Bible about what it teaches us about the elementary things, the basic things that we should understand for how to be a lifelong follower of Christ. So we're talking today then about being created for eternity. And as I was thinking about time and how it flies, I was thinking about Facebook and their their feature of uh, on this day. 
So Facebook pops up uh, every day. Uh, if you posted on that day several years ago and says, on this day you posted this, do you remember it? And you can look back at this and say, wow, that was you know, four years ago. I can't believe how long ago that was. Time really flies. Well, I was looking at those Facebook photos uh, that come up on my, po on my page, and it's things like uh, Bible verses, articles about science that I argue with people about, things like that. Um, but then, uh, so this one popped up the other day. So this is uh, English breakfast, baked beans for breakfast. That's the only place in the world that you can do that. And then I started noticing that a lot of the days that pop up uh, turn out to be food. <laughs> So one after another, on this day, I was posting about food. You can tell what gets me excited. Um, so are any of you getting hungry yet, by the way? I mean, <laughs> hopefully this is making you hungry. Um, so this is, by the way, a, a donut pretzel, uh, which is a combination of two incredible things. And then uh, In-N-Out Burger, which is one of my favorite places. I love going to this place when I go to California, and I wish that they'd build one here in Texas. But then another food one popped up the other day that I wanted to share. Um, so this one, <laughs> it's the official sponsor of the Dallas Cowboys, the turnovers. <laughs> so Pastor Cecil and Pastor Casey are both huge Dallas Cowboys fans, and so I'm having to get more and more sneaky in terms of putting these jokes into my sermons. And so this one's off-season, I know, but I had to, had to do this one, uh, the food connection. But don't worry, Pastor Cecil and I are still good friends. Here's an on this day that popped up the other day. <laughs> This is uh, Mother's Day a couple years ago. This is our Mother's Day picture, isn't it sweet? <laughs> but the thing that really gets to me uh, when posting this is, uh, or looking at this, is pictures of my kids and seeing how much they've grown and what has happened. This is a picture of Parker that I thought looked like a political ad. Um, there's a Cora worshiping, looking back and seeing, wow, that was uh, years ago, and yet it seems like yesterday. It's amazing how fast time flies. Here's Elliot riding his bike, and there's one of Parker in a second as a, as a little baby on the debate team. There we go. <laughs> Not too long ago, but yet time flies, it seems. And then there's a couple of me. This is uh, when I was graduating college. Um, this is me and my roommates. And then this one is one of Steph and I. Uh, not that one. There we go. This is before the age of digital cameras even. Isn't that crazy? So um, this is 2003, 15 years ago on the day of our, uh, of our engagement. Um, and it's amazing because I remember this like yesterday. And yet time really flies. It's amazing how fast time goes. Well, it's kind of strange that we're amazed at how fast time flies because time always flies, right? Time is always moving forward. And yet we keep thinking, wow, time really moves fast. Why is that? Why do we think like that? C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, it's as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised by the wetness of water. And that would be a strange thing indeed, unless, of course, the fish were destined to become one day a land animal. You see, the fact that we're surprised by time and surprised by how quickly time goes is an indication that we're made for something more. We're made for something more than this life. We have a yearning for something more, and that something more is eternity, and that's what we'll talk about today. So number one in your notes, we were created for eternity. We were created for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11, where we'll start out, says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, this passage in Ecclesiastes, in the beginning of it, it talks about for everything there is a season. And it talks about a time to be born and a time to die. It talks about a beginning and an end. There's seasons of beginnings and seasons of endings in our lives. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. 
I'm reminded of the seasons in our lives. Not too long ago, a couple years back, we went through a season of tremendous um, health problems, one after another after another, and it was a time to weep in our family and just cry out to God, why are you letting us go through this? And yet here recently, God's completely reversed course, and we've been better than we've ever been before. And it's amazing the seasons that God has you go through one after another. There's a time to break down and a time to build, it says. This is the biblical mandate for home improvement projects. <laughs> now, my wife would actually add a third one, which is a time to not do either one, because she doesn't like uh, building up or breaking down. She doesn't like the projects. But there's seasons of breaking down and building up. Now, if, as I was talking about this, you were singing the bird song from a while back uh, that used these as lyrics. That was 53 years ago was when it came out. Time really flies. You remember it like yesterday, and yet it wasn't too long ago. Life is filled with seasons, and we might have nostalgia over good things that happened before and wish that we could go back there. We might have testimonies over struggles that we had before and ways that God brought us through it. Right now, you may be going through a good season, a season where you say, God, I just wish that the season would never end because things are so good, it's just a season of triumph. Or you may go, be going through a season of struggle right now where you say, God, why am I going through this right now? Why don't you get me out of this? When is this season ever going to end? And yet Ecclesiastes says he's made everything beautiful in its own time. All of these seasons that we have in this life, God makes beautiful. It's because God is in control. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, any season that we're in, if we trust God and we love God, he can work them into something beautiful. He can work them into something good. And that something good can echo for eternity. And that's what we'll talk about for the rest of the message today. We have this yearning as time flies for something more for eternity. It's said that parenting gives you long days and short years. It's a struggle right now, but after a while, you look back and you say, where did the years go? This life is so short, but God hasn't built us just for this life. He's got something so much more. We were created for eternity. But this Ecclesiastes also says we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We can't see everything right now. The eternity that we have before us is something that he's prepared for us, but it's unseen. We don't know what it is yet. We just have to trust him. We have to live a life of faith. Number two in your notes then, what's this life for? Our lives here are preparing us for eternity. Our lives here are preparing our, us for eternity. We're gonna go to 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians as the case may be. 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 16. It starts out, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This passage shows three contrasts, and I want to look at these three contrasts as we're looking at eternity. The first one, it says, your outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. How many of you know that our outer selves are wasting away? I mean, all you have to do is come to the turkey bowl that we have around Thanksgiving to see that our outer selves are wasting away. 
these guys, including myself, we all have some sort of contraption to keep our knees together or ankles together or something like that because we'll literally fall apart without these braces holding us together. And yet, even with all of that, the next day, most of us can hardly move. We're all, you know, walking around just barely moving. But it's a fun time. Definitely come join us uh, around Thanksgiving for, for Turkey Bowl. <laughs> it's not as bad as it seems. But even though our lives are, or our bodies are wasting away, it says our outer selves are wasting away, God is working in us, in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts to do something with eternal significance. It says that our inner self is being renewed day by day. You wouldn't know it looking at our bodies, but as we go through time, God is working on us. He's doing something in our lives. We need to trust him through that process. The next contrast is it says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We have light affliction and an eternal glory, a weight of glory, a temporary affliction and an eternal weight of glory. I did this, uh, this uh, illustration a couple years ago, um, but it's my favorite illustration. I'll probably do it every couple years, so just be prepared to see it every couple years. So if we imagine that this rope is our time, basically, from creation onward, this little red part of the rope let's imagine is our life here on earth, whether it's 50 years or 70 years or 100 years or however long it is. Well, what God has for us is not just this part in red that you can see. He's got something so much more. He's got an eternity for us. And if you look at this, it's interesting because we use the word eternity and we can't even fathom what eternity really means because everything that we know of has a defined start and stop, right? But eternity never stops. It never, ever stops. I was at my girls' dance recital, and they were very cute, and they were awesome, but I was thinking, this is going on for an eternity. <laughs> well, it eventually ended, right? It didn't go on and on and on and on, but our eternity really does go on and on and on and on and on, and compared to this little part of the rope, this part becomes zero when it's compared to all of this. So how can Paul say this light momentary affliction? Do you have any idea the things that Paul had to go through in his life? He was shipwrecked. He was beaten several times. He was ridiculed. He was imprisoned over and over again, starving. He was eventually killed for his faith. This was a man who paid an incredibly high price, incredible suffering in his life for the sake of Christ. And yet he writes, probably from prison, this light momentary affliction. Really? Light momentary? Well, it's because Paul wasn't focused on the part of the life that he could see. Paul was focused on his eternity, the part that he couldn't see. See, whatever you go through in this part, no matter how bad, when it's compared to the rest of this rope, it's light and momentary. Yeah. It's ultimately not that much compared to what God actually has for the rest of your eternity. And it says that God is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Whatever you're going through in this life, if you're trusting him, remember, God is working everything together for the good of those who love him. God is making everything beautiful in its own time. So if you're going through now just trust him that he's doing something in the rest of the rope that you can't see. He's working in your life. He's renewing you day by day. And if you have that perspective, you can do anything for Christ. The third contrast is we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Faith is not about looking at this part, but it's about living for the rest of the rope, the part that is unseen. Number three in your notes. Through Jesus, our destiny in eternity is far better. Through Jesus, our destiny in eternity is far better. It's not just that eternity is longer. 
I mean, you think about eternity, and uh, you know, my family loves Disney World, for instance. Disney World is a fun place, but can you imagine spending an eternity there? You would definitely get bored at some point, right? The same rides over and over again. But the Bible says our eternity is not monotonous. Our eternity is not boring. Our eternity is not something that we're gonna wish, I wish this season would end. No, 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 no. Our eternity is something that's so much better than what we can possibly imagine that we're never gonna want it to end. And good news, it doesn't end. It goes on and on and on. God something, got something incredible for us. Going on to 2 Corinthians chapter five, it says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our bodies here are like a tent, it says, if our tent, our earthly home is destroyed. The storm that came last night, how many of you would like to have been outside in a tent when that storm came? I don't think so, it's a little flimsy, probably get lightning strike on the tent, probably blow down, not a good thing. But to be in a building, in a house, that's where you're protected, that's where it's firm. The Bible says that our bodies are like a tent, it's flimsy, it's fragile. You know life is fragile, but God's building something for us, not made with human hands, it says, but made with his hands that will last for an eternity, something solid and real and firm. How do we know that this is talking about bodies and not souls when it's talking about the tent versus the building? Well, because it talks about how the tent made with human hands versus the house not made with human hands, and Jesus used exactly the same terminology when he was on earth. As he was standing before his accusers, uh, before he was crucified, one of the accusers uh, said uh, something that Jesus had said in Mark 14. It says, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. See, Jesus recognized that his earthly body still, it was also a tent. But by dying on the cross and then rising to life again, he was getting a new resurrected body, something not built with hands, something that was given as a gift from God and something that would last for an eternity, something that is so much better. Look at Jesus' resurrected body and we can start to understand what our resurrected bodies might be like, our building uh, given as a gift from God. Remember, we can't earn this building. It's not made with hands. It's a gift from God for those who are covered under the blood of Jesus. Well, Jesus was, after he was resurrected, had a real body. Thomas could touch his scars. He could touch him. He was a real person. It wasn't a spiritual body. It was a real body. Jesus also ate. In John 21, it talks about Jesus grilling fish over charcoal. And to me, this settles the debate once and for all over gas versus charcoal. Jesus used charcoal. <laughs> it's very clear in the Bible. John 21, write it down. John 21. <laughs> And I mean, to me, the king would have used Kingsford charcoal, just saying. So, but Jesus' resurrected body was a little different, right? The disciples didn't immediately recognize him. There was something different about his resurrected body. He could also move through this world like it was nothing. He could walk through walls and things like that. Kind of cool. He was more real than this world is real, basically. So number 3A, our resurrected bodies will be real. Our resurrected bodies will be real. We're not looking forward to an eternity that is just a state of mind. There's a lot of, of religions that talk about how the ultimate happiness is to disassociate your soul from your body and to, to leave this physical realm that God has created. That's not what the Bible teaches. God has created the physical for a purpose and he has a purpose for it and we will forever have a body to worship him, to glorify him and to live out his purposes. Going on to 2 Corinthians 5.4, it says, for while we are still in this tent, in this body, 
we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What does it mean by unclothed? Well, it means not that we would disassociate our soul from our body, not that we would have an out-of-body experience, but that we would put on a new resurrected body. Heaven is not just a place where our, our spirits sit around and do nothing. It's a real place. God's got a real eternity for us where we have real bodies and can worship him and live out his purposes in a real life. 1 Corinthians, now actually 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 says it like this. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it a new body that he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. This tent of a body that you have now is not your final destiny. If you know Christ and you're covered under the blood of Christ, if, as that song talked about, when the final trumpet sounds, when you stand before Christ, if he's clothed you in his righteousness so that he can look at you and say, I see my son who is perfect, enter into your rest. At that point, it will have, you will have a real resurrected body, the real body that God has called you to have when that trumpet blows. But not immediately. You see, immediately when we die, our soul will literally leave our body because our bodies won't be resurrected just yet. But it's still good because three, be in your notes, we will be with Jesus. We will be with Jesus. I think about when I'm traveling. When I'm traveling uh, and I'm talking to my wife on the phone or on Facebook Messenger or something like that, there's a sense that she's there with me because I can talk to her, but she's not really with me. And what I yearn to do is to go home and to be with her to be in her presence and in the presence of my family. In the same way, right now, God has given us a certain portion of his presence. He's given us his Holy, Holy Spirit to be with us now, and we can talk to him, we can pray to him, we can feel God working in our lives, but it's just a glimpse of what he really has for us. What we yearn to do is to be right there with Jesus, side by side with Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 goes on in verse two to say, for if in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked or outside of our body. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If, it, if being at home with the Lord means that we have to be away from the body, that's even better because being with God is far, far better. Philippians 1 says it like this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is, listen, far better. Not just a little bit better, and not just longer, but far, far better to be with Christ. And why is that? See, Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save us. Jesus is also the reason that we want to be saved. You see, the reason that we want to be saved is that we want to be in the presence of God, the presence of all things that are good. The Bible says it like this in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. That means no, nothing that is lacking, fullness of joy. 
and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, if this, in this life, we have this short, short time to live here, but what God is saying is, what he's doing in this part of the rope, in this part of our life, will echo into eternity, and in this part, it's not only a long time, it doesn't end, but it's also fullness of joy. It is so, so much better than we can possibly imagine. If we can keep our eyes focused on the things that we can't see, imagine what we could do for Christ in this life if we just obey him courageously. I'm reminded as I'm thinking about this, about my, my grandpa. My senior year of high school, my grandpa got very sick. And uh, he was, as he was getting older, he got more and more uh, involved in his church. He got more and more involved in Bible study. He, he read the word constantly. He sat at his kitchen table uh, with his Bible and, and read the Bible. And uh, he got sicker and sicker. And just above his shoulder as he's reading the Bible, there was this clock that was on the wall. And it was one of my grandparents' favorite clocks, but it didn't work. It was broken for a while. And there was a chime that, that uh, would spo was supposed to go off, and it just never went off. Well, my grandpa, after he finally passed away uh, in that house, he passed away, and the next day, all of a sudden, my grandma hears a chime. And suddenly, that clock had started working again. Now, it was as if God was telling us, giving a little glimpse, that this life was just the prelude. But now time has really begun. Now my grandfather has really gone on to the destiny that God has prepared for him. This is what he was meant to live for. So, in this life, are we just waiting for heaven? Is this just a giant waiting room? I don't think so. Remember, God is preparing for us something good. All of the seasons that we go through, God is preparing for us an eternity after this. So what we do now and what God does in our lives right now will echo into eternity. He's got a purpose for us right now. So number four in your notes, we live right now to please God. We live right now to please God. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, guarantee here does not just mean a promise. It means a down payment. This original word means a down payment. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that we have right now is a glimpse of the presence of God that we'll have into eternity. It's like a down payment. And then it goes on to say, so we are always of good courage. We're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not sight. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what he is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible says we should live by faith and not by sight. As we look to the things not that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. But that doesn't mean that we ignore this part doesn't mean that we ignore this life. It means that we live this life in light of the rest of it. We live this life in faithful obedience to him who's called us as a lifelong follower of Christ and say, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I will follow you because this life is not everything. Whatever you tell me to go through in this life, whatever season you have for me in this life, I know that you've got something so much better. And so I'm just going to be obedient, courageously obedient to what you've got for me right now in this life because I know the promises, because I see Eternity in my future, given by God. So what does this look like? I'm reminded of Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. And it shows you what happens in the lives of people in the Bible when you live by faith, living for not what's seen, but what's unseen. 
And I want to read through this to see how a life of faith looks. Starting at verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, listen to all these things they did through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. What incredible seasons people went through and incredible things people went through because they were faithful and because they weren't looking to what was seen, but to what was unseen. But then look at this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept relief that some might rise again to a better life. Others were suffering mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These were bad seasons, these were struggles, and some people God calls through triumph, and some people God calls through struggles, and we can't see why you get the seasons that you get. All you know is that you're going to live for what you don't see, for eternity, for what God has prepared for you. You're going to be courageously obedient in whatever, because this is not all there is. There's so much more that he's prepared for us. Earlier in that chapter, it said, these all, all of these, whether good seasons or bad, these all died in faith not having received the things promised. The things promised were not for here, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land which they'd gone out, they would have had real opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one or an eternal one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This life is not all there is. There's so much more. We yearn for an eternity. We yearn to be in his presence. So let's live courageously obedient to him who called us and to him who has promised us an eternity with him because this is not all there is. I want to close with the example of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, uh, a pastor in Germany during the time of the Nazis. He was born in the early 1900s. He was the son of a famous professor of psychiatry and he was not destined to be someone in the church or a preacher. But at age 14, God got a hold of his heart, and he surprised his parents by announcing that he wanted to be a minister. He preached for a little bit after getting his degree, uh, and then became a professor of theology at the University of Berlin. As Hitler was rising to power in Germany at this time, there was many Christian, uh, Christians in Germany who started to think that Hitler might be the answer to their problems, that Hitler might be God's instrument to bring the German people up to what God had brought them to. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw right through it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew that there was an irreconcilable conflict between the vision of Nazism and the vision of Christ for his church here on earth, a vision of love. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer worked against the Nazis. He became a leader of the illegal confessing church, the church that held fast to the truths of the Bible regardless of what uh, the Nazi party told him to do. And he worked behind the scenes to save many Jews and to resist Hitler. He even worked in two assassination plots of Hitler behind the scenes to try to support these things because he felt he had to do everything he could to save the people of Germany, to save the Jews who were being persecuted, to save the people that God had called him to save. So regardless of the cost, he was going to live courageous obedience and try to do all God told him to do. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. 
This book is, is actually one that I'm reading right now. It's about how God calls us to costly grace, not cheap grace. Costly grace is a grace that says, I will trade everything else that I have in this life and leave it all behind for the sake of following Jesus. See, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, come and follow me. He didn't say, pick up the things that you've got and carry them along with you. He said, leave the nets behind, leave what you've had behind and come follow me because I'm the one that matters more than anything else because it's not just about this life, it's about eternity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he's working against Hitler, he lived by faith. He was working for things that are unseen. He said this, I do not mean faith which flees the world, but one which endures the world and which loves and remains true to the world despite all of the suffering which it contains for us. Listen to this. I fear that Christians who stand with only one leg upon the earth will also stand with only one leg in heaven. You see, if you are so focused on eternity that you completely neglect this life, you're missing the point. You're missing God's purpose. God is preparing something for you in eternity, and you need, to, you need to believe that and focus on that, but it should give you a courageous obedience here and now to follow whatever God tells you to do, to serve like you've never served before, to give like you've never given before, because it's not about this life. It's about eternity. So use this life for eternal purposes no matter what. Bonhoeffer was arrested in April 5th, 1943. He spent two years in prison preaching to the inmates. Two years later, April 8th, 1945, only two weeks before his prison was liberated by the Allies and he would have been freed. Just two weeks before that, he was led to the execution yard and executed. The camp doctor who witnessed his execution said this, I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. And at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, and then he climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. You see, if we live this life submissive to God, even in our death, we can be confident of what he has for us in the future and it won't be something that we're scared of or anxious about because we trust in him uh, no matter what. Just before his death, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, just before he was executed, he said, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Would that be what we say when we reach the end of our lives as well? That this is the end now but it's really the beginning of what God has for us in eternity. I want you to close your eyes as we're closing. And I want you to spend a moment imagining that transition point. Imagining the point between the red and the yellow on the rope. Imagining the end of your life. This morning, if you're a lifelong follower of Christ, what will you see when you look back on your life? Will you see that you were living for this life and you're about to lose everything that you have lived for? Or will you see that you lived for eternity and you're about to gain everything that you lived for? This morning, start talking to God about giving you a heart for eternal purposes, that you would live courageous obedience toward him. But for some of you, maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe the end of your life would make you anxious you would think, I don't know what my eternity holds because I don't know Jesus. Remember that when we pass from this point to eternity, if we're not clothed in the righteousness of God, 
Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. Our own righteousness is nothing. We will not get the eternal destiny God has prepared for us if we aren't following him right here and right now. So if that's you, begin talking to God and telling him that you trust in him, that you want nothing to do with your old life, you want new life in him, no matter what, because it's good and it's eternal. And that's what you want to live for. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that in spite of all of the technical difficulties that we've had, in spite of everything that's been going on, in spite of whatever season we're in, whether it's a triumphant season or a season of struggle, that you are working in our lives right here and right now. Holy Spirit, would you take this word and would you apply it to our lives, that it would not just be a foundation that is just knowledge, but it would be something that we build our lives upon, that every day we would live with courageous obedience towards you because we trust that you have something good for our eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.